The unscented company is definitely without scent, but unscented company is much brighter than that. You, you want to have the less ingredient possible. You want to be transparent. I'm a B Corp certified business. Therefore, I put up front and I put on the shelves products that are minimalist with minimal impact on the environment. So the fact that we have no dye, no color, for me, it's part of my mission. It's part of the values of the company. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Padia Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today we have with us Annie Hulo, founder and CEO of Unscented Co. Start fresh to redefine the notion of clean. Welcome, Annie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So what are the key ingredients? So, like you make all different kinds of soap, mm-hmm. but most of them have like few key ingredients, right? Absolutely. Obviously, it's all plant mineral base ingredients, but we use mainly the coconut oil, cocoa oil or any derivative from the coconut. So that's probably the main active ingredients for cleaning in the soaps, in the detergents. So that's pretty much how we start the formulation. But we always try to use not only natural, but that's a plant mineral base. And we have very, very little synthetic uh, ingredients. But at some point, you know, you need a little bit because we need to make sure that we have a product that is well conserved. So this is specifically your soap. But in general, what are soaps normally used? They have SLS. Yes, but SLS, uh, which is the sodium lauryl sulfate, mm-hmm. uh, they have sulfate. It is a coconut oil-based uh, ingredient. Sulfate has been in the market, has been a bit uh, misunderstood. Right. Yes, there's right, been right. misunderstanding about these ingredients. Uh, mostly when we say the SLES, because it is coconut oil-based, mind you, uh, there's other different ingredients which are not plant-based or completely manufactured in uh, laboratories. But sometimes we have to be careful because when you use ingredients in different soaps, you obviously do not take the raw material. It has to go through a engineering manufacturing system. You take part of the molecule to create your product. So sometimes in the manufacturing, when you overheat, it's like overheating uh, olive oil. If mm-hmm. you pass that oil point, that, that uh, temperature point, you will create byproducts that are very dangerous and they are toxic. So that's when ingredients, they have to be treated and modified carefully under very good control environment. So I'm always very uh, careful of my source and of the way we produce every uh, ingredient. So where is your manufacturing? Is it in Canada? Absolutely. Yeah, Montreal-based Canadian company. We have all our manufacturing here in Canada. I have a few uh, manufacturers in Europe, 
So um, actually, Red Decker uh, is a supplier of us, and we have somebody else in France. But I would say today that 90% of my suppliers are within 500 kilometers of my head office. So that's part of my objective or my vision of creating a company is making sure that we create an ecosystem locally. Coming back to the ingredients, you mentioned how you started with cocoa, mm-hmm. coconut oil, right? Exactly. You, yes. Okay. So, and you're saying your SLS comes from the natural cocoa oil and you have to process it yes. in a very controlled fashion to not have the side effects of the other sulfates. Absolutely. Actually, if you overheat uh, the sulfate, you will create a byproduct, which is called 1.4 dioxane. And that's type of ingredients you don't want to have. So, you know, when you know exactly your formula and you know and control your environment, you create good quality products. That's so confusing, right? So I've been told to read the labels. Yes. But if I read the labels and it said it has SLS, and in my mind, I'm thinking sulfates are not good. It's so confusing. It's no, like it all these nuances that you need to know. Absolutely. And you know what? The market has been uh, educated upon reading very well nutritious on the food because it was important. Everything that went into your body was the first thing that people were really aware and learned and they got informed about just the label of any food product. The second industry that's been not targeted, but that's been looked at is the cosmetic. So more and more, we will get better at reading cosmetics, getting informed, and also have all the information on the web, because that's where people go get the information, being carefully uh, read through and carefully put. And the third one is all the products around you. And that's where we come in. So all the products, the cleaning products, and what I call the body products, which are not cosmetic, they're not leave-on products. So I have fallen into that category, and we've not reached a point where all the information is accurate. And so we, we have to be patient a bit. And yes, it's very difficult to try to figure out um, It's like any sugar in fruits. In a natural fruit, you will have sugar, but not all sugar is bad. So it's always to be able to to read and learn about all the ingredients. I know for for myself, I'm allergic to eggplants. Who would be allergic to eggplants? But it, it is still a natural product. But then again, we have to be careful. I think in every product you manufacture or any produce you do, um, you have to make sure to know the origin and to know the process, the manufacturing process. So for me, that's very important. And the more we're going to go on and the more we're going to be on the market, better informed the customer will become. In our earlier episode, we had a natural cosmetics brand, Mm -hmm. and she said the list of things permitted as natural, as safe in the U.S. is much, much shorter than what is permitted in Europe. She was comparing to natural products 
made and sold in America versus a natural product. So even even if it's just any products so mm-hmm. sold in, in Europe has a longer list of things which are not permitted. If you compare Canada with US, mm-hmm. is the list similar of permitted and not permitted items? The way I see it and the way we uh, got Health Canada approval and we are now selling throughout the United States is that I took the EWG, so the Environmental Working Group. I took the Whole Food Eco Rating and I took what was allowed with Health Canada. So I started with a very strong, how do I say it in English very well, just uh, very limited options on different natural products. Because yes, the government has requests to do new natural products to put on the market daily and very few gets to be authorized or verified by uh, or approved or approved thank you very much or approved i i kind of make sure that if i want to be able to sell to the larger retailers and for me i found that whole food had the best eco rating then i started with all of their approved ingredients to start formulating so when you talk about whole foods you're talking the whole foods yes. grocery chain Absolutely. Yes, whole food grocery chain. So you set your standard higher than the government standards so you would be able to get approved. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't think the government standards in any uh, I think California might have a better restriction or better understanding of all the ingredients because they've put the efforts in it. Uh but for us here in Canada uh, or the US in general we need to to restri- restrict uh, quite a bit to make sure that what we have it's available for both the US, Canadian and European market. How do you know so much? Are you a chemist by training? Um did you have any background? No. I actually uh I am to- intolerant to fragrances. So since very earlier on I started producing my own products for home so my cleanings my cosmetic my body products uh my laundry detergent i would do them at home so i got to know what was the composition of those products and eventually when i decided to start a business and offer natural biodegradable exclusively unscented and exclusively without dye for me i met a chemist and we went through all of what i wanted and we established a formulas and from there you know what you grow a business with very few products and you get to learn about the industry and you get to go on talks and you get to go in trade shows and you get to learn and after 10 years in this industry uh and with having a chemist uh, on board um, i'm interested I have always been interested in what goes in my product. And it's interesting most people don't think colors are so bad. Permitted food colors. Yeah, absolutely. I think the unscented company is definitely without scent, but unscented company is much brighter than that. You you want to have the less ingredient possible. You want to be transparent. I'm a B Corp certified business. Therefore, I put up front and i put on the shelves products that are minimalist with minimal impact on the environment so the fact that we have no dye no color 
For me, it's part of my mission. It's part of the values of the company. And regardless, adding color for color for me cannot be good. What, what, what is wrong if it just makes your product? Because when you go into the toxicity of different color, red color or different colors, very innocent ingredients like the fragrance that we think that if it doesn't smell lavender or lemon, that it's not clean, well, actually contains a lot of toxicity and you have maybe 30 different ingredients to compose one scent in your product. So sometimes the dye and the fragrance are a secret trade for the companies and they don't divulge everything that's in it. So for me, when you're not fully disclosing your product ingredient list, right there we have an issue. So for me, that's why I decided not to go with any color whatsoever. So what are the products you carry? Right now, we're mostly in the home, which is dish soap, laundry, all-purpose, dryer ball. So everything, all of the products that you need uh, for your home. Uh, I call it like the detox home product because it's natural and because it has no fragrance. And we have all of the body. So shampoo, conditioner, body soap, lotion, hand soap. So right now, that's what we have. And we offer shampoo uh, liquid or we offer, offer it also as a shampoo bar. So is there much difference in the chemistry in making a bar soap versus a liquid soap? Because, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everybody used bar soap. And then there's this transition to liquid body washes. So what changed? The, the shampoo bar is a bit different, but there's been a switch mm -hmm. in Canada, uh, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years ago, I would say, when the consumer packaged goods companies, the very big, large company, decided that it was better, more convenient for everyone to have liquid in a bottle, they made it make it seem more like hygienic, cleaner, safer. So the way the marketing was done, they made the soap bar completely almost disappear. Today, with what we've been experiencing with the COVID, and one effect was shortage of bottles, shortage of uh, pumps, shortage of uh, caps. Well, we came back to the bar soap, which is plastic-free, with waste-free, which is the best way to go back. So we're trying to bring back the values of using soap bar and using shampoo bar and conditioner bar. Actually, I have switched to bar soap from the liquid soap, and I'll tell you the reason why. I feel the liquid soap, especially in dry climates, I'm here in Indiana, where it's mostly dry year-round, it's very harsh on the skin. Whereas if I use a bar soap, I find it less drying. Is there a difference or is it just my imagination? No, I think, yeah, absolutely. It's not your imagination. Sometimes it depends on the formula because if you formulate with a neutral, closer to your skin pH, or if you formulate to have a higher pH, let's say around 11, because some hand soap out there are very high pH because they don't want to add conservative agents in them. Because you find on the web the different things or different information that methylisothialosinone is not good and benzothialosinone is not good. So to 
prevent having customers not happy about your formula, they decide to increase the pH and a pH more than 11. You know what? You don't have to add any conservative agents. But then again, for your skin, it's a bit more irritant and harsh. So it always depends on the formula. So probably your soap bar has been designed to better meet your pH, uh, your skin pH. So that makes me feel better that <laughs> it's not my imagination because I was like, <laughs> I'm done with these, <laughs> no, uh, with these liquids. But I think I do believe there's a definite yes. switch to come back to more natural and plastic, yeah. less plastic than possible products. And my, you know, my mission statement is not to become the leader of dish soap in the world. My mission is to be part of this movement to reduce single-use uh, plastic packaging. And the vision I have, how am I going to achieve it? Really by contributing and changing consumers' habit. So that's what I want to do. And by convincing and us, the two of us, if we can convince to come back to Soap Bar, we are doing something tremendously good for the planet. Yeah, and uh, Soap Bar lasts for so much longer. Absolutely. <laughs> if you leave it in your cupboard to dry, it's going to last forever. Um, have you heard about soap nuts? Absolutely. Yeah. So do you use them in your um, products? Because in India, we wear a lot of silk. And the best product to wash your silk saris, your silk garments, is you soak soap nuts in water and it makes a foam and 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 the silk saris last literally forever absolutely when you do that it's it's on my r&d list actually to introduce um the soap nuts it was just a bit for me early in my r&d because it's not something that is part of our consumption right now we're not the, uh, Canadian people are not used to soap nuts, so uh, it would have been too much of a big change at the beginning. So I had to introduce the laundry soap as we Canadian North American are using. Now I'm introducing the laundry tablets. So to reduce plastic packaging because it's going to be inside a carbon box. So soap nuts for me is definitely something we will move toward to because I do believe this is the ultimate uh, products that uh, reduce your plastic footprint or your environmental footprint. Right. But it was not here in North America, a product that people were using. So it just needs a little bit more education, but definitely uh, it's on my radar, most definitely. Even more than education, maybe just transforming how you use it. Right now you soak it and then you take it. Maybe there's a way to create the detergent and stabilize it for mass consumption. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good tip. Good tip. I'm, I'm definitely taking notes. You touched a little bit about uh, your B Corp certification. Mm -hmm. What is B Corp certification? Just to break it up, we would start with what is B Corp certification? How long does it take? And what does it take to be certified? Okay, well, B Corp certification is actually a certification that comes from the U.S. It is a certification upon the values of the company, meaning we want to use our business as a force for good. So that's their tagline. That's the reason behind certifying your business a B Corp. B Corp, you open your status of incorporation. 
Because you know what? I grew up and I went to university and the only reason for a company to exist is to maximize profitability and to make sure the shareholders gets their profit. With a certified B Corp, all uh, stakeholders are as important. So you want to open your status of incorporation and make sure, yes, profit is important, but not to the detriment of the environment or the community. So it is the three P's, profit, people, planet. And you close your incorporation status. That means legally your business can act like buying locally, even a bit more expensive, and still be allowed to do it without compromising your board of directors. So for me, when it's a legal movement, it makes more sense. And after that, you look at your governance, you look at your employees, you look at your production, you look at your products, and it's an assessment of your practices. And it's a rating, so you need to have 80 on 250. B Corp is not looking for perfect companies. You can have a product on the market that generates a lot of plastic, but yet you have profit sharing and you're very involved in your community. So it's really to use, as I said at the beginning, use your business as a force for good for everyone. So that movement really has great businesses in the U.S. like Pantagonia, Ben & Jerry, uh, Danone, the yogurt has just become a B Corp certified business. And so the movement is growing and we need to change the way we're doing business and we need to, to have different success factor upon which we evaluate our companies. So for me, B Corp is really the only way businesses will be managed tomorrow. So was it a really long drawn process? Because I know our listeners, some of them are startups themselves. So I wanted to know whether it would be a very difficult process. And also, so the certifying body, it's not a government. Who is that? B Corp is a, uh, an organization to itself. They're based out of New York. It's an assessment that really took us, I would say, every Friday morning from 9 o'clock to 12. It was reserved for me on thinking about B Corp, putting all my practices, putting my procedures uh, getting my policy of responsible purchasing act. It was just to put the entire certification together. It was about a six months. And after that, you go through the assessment and it's an interview over the phone with the people. And on demand for three hours, they ask you uh, live to send your uh, employee uh, guideline, your uh, employee evaluation, any documentation to support what you put in your assessment. So it is a process. But in the past, I had been through the ISO 9001 process, which are very product-oriented, which is good. I like that type of RAN business. I, I do need templates, and I need to make sure we follow certain procedures to make sure we keep our high-quality standards. But it's lacking on the values of the business and making sure the mission and the vision is understood and work within the entire company. And having B Corp certification, for me, that really helped promoting our values within our business. So that was very important to me. And it has a very 
big side effect. You retain your employee and more people want to work for your company because they want to work for a company that shares their values. They want to be part of a bigger project than just their paycheck. So B Corp really sets you apart because you care about more than making money. And there is also this Benefit Corp. Is that the same thing? It is the same thing. B Corp, it is Benefit Corporation. So do you have to be a certain size to be certified as a B Corp? Absolutely not. You know what? I've been a certified B Corp since 2015. Uh, That's five years. I'm on my third certification because you get recertified every two years. And I do believe now they've put every three years. So perhaps the back end has changed a little bit. So don't uh, take everything. I think the website would uh, let you know more. But um, a service company, a product-oriented company, anyone can get certified because it's really for the good for the community. So uh, if you have a notary office, a lawyer office, a bank here in Canada, we have the Canadian Bank of Development that is B Corp certified. And there are over, what, 20,000 people, Mm -hmm. employees. Mm -hmm. So basically, they're looking for the attitude with which you run your corporation. Exactly. And how are you going to establish your purchasing policies and how you're going to treat the employees in a sense with profit sharing and with equity and with the governance is it transparent there's all of that also involved so it is internal it's external and the footprint you're leaving behind how do i get your products how do i what is your sales model Right now, my sales model is both brick and mortar and web-based because we were more brick and mortar in Canada. The last six months with the pandemic, obviously the web-based company has increased quite a bit. So today in Canada, it's pretty much, I would say, 30% comes from the web and 70% comes from brick and mortar. In the U.S., We have been very lucky in the past uh, five months. We've signed for the Northeast with Whole Food Grocery. And across the United States, we have urban outfitters that you can buy online or at retail. Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow, has visited us in Canada. Well, actually, her team, not her personally, but her team came over and really fell in love with the Unscented Company. So it's available on Goop dot com in the US and we're growing. We're growing our US model and soon very I would say Amazon.com will be before Christmas. We're slowly growing in the US. In Canada, I would say we have five thousand, six thousand point of sales and uh, strong on the web. So was that transition hard to make? Actually, since March 13, we actually had to turn around very quickly because our web sales went from I would say an average of 30 orders a day to 250 orders a day. So we had to organize ourselves to, to meet the demand. So we kind of, we didn't have time to think about it. We didn't have time to plan it. We just did it. And now I'm very happy that it's done because I don't think it was a trend. I think it was a movement and I think we have changed consumers' habits for the long run. So people will continue hopefully because I it really is um, important to me that people continues to shop into their neighborhood and offering 
our products, but definitely it needs to be uh, available online everywhere. So now we're getting there. So, and it's, it's a nice model because the risk is shared between the brick and mortar and the web. I came across your product when another host, a hinter company, said he stocked your products in his, um, in his homes, uh, which he gives out um, to rent as places, uh, vacation homes for people to stay in. How has that part of your business changed because the hospitality industry is, or was it just a very small portion of your business? No, actually, hospitality had been uh, something not quite important, but definitely growing. The hospitality industry or a few big hotel uh, chain gave me a call one day saying, you know what, we have been asked by regular customers to offer fragrance-free rooms because the more people are getting a bit tired of those very heavily perfumed amenities in the hotel room. So slowly we have done, introduced, and we have introduced rooms that have unscented products in it, hand soap, shampoo, conditioner, uh, lotion. I would say even very uh, high-end restaurants have been asking for unscented products because you, you know what, you pay $50 your plate, you go to the restrooms and you come back with your hands smelling anything but the food. That, so you, everything is contaminated. So we have had the restaurants approaching us and we've, we are selling quite a bit. And the same thing with the hospitality. And I do believe that the amenities, because yes, you have the heavily fragranced one, but there's another issue also. It's all those little plastic bottles that it's left behind where California has banned. So we were able to offer a system where you can refill or even go a step further and have very small shampoo bar, conditioner bar, and soap bar. So you have a plastic-free amenities in the room. So we're trying to help the industry also move away from little plastic amenities. And more and more customers are asking for unscented. So for, for your, your listeners or for Hinterhouse Cabin, for them, it just made sense to offer rooms that did not have a floral scent or need to have anything because their focus is making sure you smell the true forest where they're at in the true environment. So they didn't want to do, they didn't want to contaminate this beautiful place with any uh, other type scent. And also you have the the refillable stations for yes. the hospitality. And he Absolutely. mentioned that and he really likes Absolutely. it. And uh, that's it. And we, we need to, to help them uh, bring down their plastic footprint. So obviously, yes, they all use uh, refillables. What are the next steps for Unscented and the parent company, Baleco? Oh my God, I have so much things to do. Definitely, uh, if I want to be able to change consumers' habit, we need to be present uh, in much more retail space, offering refill inside stores where people are going on a weekly basis to shop and just bring with their reusable bags, bring their bottles, refill their bottles. It's a long-term goal to make sure we continue refilling. While I'm doing that, I'm also introducing all of my products into a solid version. So 
I want to be the first company in the world to offer eventually home and body care product exclusively unscented and exclusively solid. So we have no plastic packaging. That's a really lofty goal. I hope that you're <laughs> successful. And I cannot uh, tell you how much they're exactly along the lines that I think that the soap industry should move, should move toward, yeah, towards. Yes. We are going to work hard. And, you know, my biggest, happiest moment in my business, it's when I see even my competitors or anyone in industry to follow our footsteps and to see that we are changing the industry standards for the better. And I just cannot be happier if I contribute that with my business. As the saying goes, imitation is the best form of flattery. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Annie. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for this opportunity. And I, I can't wait to see herself more present in the U.S. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk on you're welcome. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Like, share our Instagram page, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Tatum Gale composed the music for this podcast. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses. 